Our Woman in Supply Chain series is back with part six. You're not going to want to miss this episode. I speak to Lillian Duke. She is a social leader. She's dominating two male-dominated industry, aerospace and supply chain. So join myself and Lillian on letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 11. Welcome to Let's Talk Supply Chain. My name is Sarah Barnes-Humphrey, and each week I bring you the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about best practices, new innovation, and most up-to-date information about supply chain. I believe that collaboration is the future of business, and I have designed this show to ensure you have all the information you need to succeed in business and in your supply chain. Thank you and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. I am so happy to be talking everything supply chain with you. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening and allowing me to come into your car, earbuds, or wherever you listen to the show every week. On that note, let's hear from the listener of the week, and that is Spicy Sap. She says... Sarah is brilliant beyond belief. This podcast has it all from understanding supply chain challenges to looking at innovation trends in supply chain to applying these insights into regular day-to-day decision-making. It's on my top five podcast list. It's a really great podcast. Oh my goodness, I think I'm blushing. Thank you so much for that amazing review. And you too can be featured on the show. Just share your thoughts about the show by writing a review on iTunes or by emailing me at listener at letstalksupplychain.com. We could not bring this podcast to you without the support of our community And that includes our sponsors. Border Buddy approached me to sponsor the podcast and I thought it was a no-brainer. And I'll tell you, it's because I love what they are doing and how they're disrupting the industry. Border Buddy is taking a modern, fresh approach to clearing goods. I've been in the industry for over 20 years and I have never seen anything like this before. Guys, our industry is changing right before our eyes and Border Buddy is who you will want on your side as they are forward thinking and do amazing things like integrate with your online platforms, including Shopify and eBay. They also can help you import your personal shipments as well. Whether you are in the US or in Canada, Border Buddy is your only choice for a partner when you import to North America. Visit them at borderbuddy.com for more information. So today, Peter from IHS Market is back on the show. And there's a couple reasons that I'm excited to have him back. If you listen to season two, episode two, you will remember that Peter and I spoke about the upcoming TPM conference. We spoke about disruption and their unique innovation jam that was introducing disruptors that identified and fixed shippers' pain points. If you missed that episode, you may want to stop this one and go and listen to that one first. So welcome back to the show, Peter. Hi, Sarah. Great to be with you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us again. Unfortunately, I was not available to attend TPM, so I'm really excited to get the inside scoop from you. Yeah, sure. It was a uh, it was it was a great event. It was a uh, it was a record event in terms of in terms of attendance. Uh, but more importantly, it it really uh, happened at a time when there are a lot of 
moving parts in the industry. And one of the things about that event is it's a, uh, a real opportunity to get clarity on what some of the major challenges are ahead of the annual contracting process in the eastbound Trans-Pacific and also ahead of the peak season for, uh, for cargo movements from uh, between Asia and North America. And so, you know, therefore, we were able to bring a lot out on, onto the table uh, in terms of both, you know, what the really big picture looks like in terms of how technology is beginning to significantly impact this market, uh, but also what some of the, the, the major kind of drivers are on the ground, uh, because as we know, uh, international logistics is really a, uh, uh, you know, it's a mishmash of, you know, how can technology help and, and enable uh, a business to be done more efficiently? But at the same time, how are we going to overcome practical challenges that we're experiencing, such as, which are, which are, to be honest with you, not really technology related and exists with or without technology, such as a massive trucking shortage in North America, for example, which is affecting drayage, long haul, LTL, you name it. And, you know, something not on, you know, not all that different happening in air cargo. Absolutely. Absolutely. So why don't we start with some of the highlights of the event? Can you tell us a little bit and maybe the high levels? Yeah, sure. I mean, we had what what I thought was one of the all-time great opening keynote spe- speeches from uh, a guy by the name of Jochen Tevis, who is the uh, the the CEO of DB Schenker, which is one of the world's largest uh, global freight forwarders. And what he said was that the freight forwarding business is going to be completely transformed. And there is nothing about the way that the freight forwarding business has worked in the past or very little that is going to translate into how it's going to work in the future. Uh, For example, he talked about how uh, freight forwarders in uh, up until now throughout all of history uh, essentially have uh, been able to profit off of a lack of transparency where the where the, the, the freight forwarder keeps close to the vest all the relevant information about what's happening with a customer's shipment or supply chain. And the, the control of that information is important to their, their franchise or, or their position in the market. Uh, but, but what he said was that actually information now is becoming democratized. And, and visibility of, of, of the whereabouts and status of cargo, for example, is uh, is is uh, such that the freight forwarder can no longer have a monopoly on 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 information, and therefore it has to operate in in a, in a, in, a, in, a, in an environment of of what is rapidly becoming inc- increased uh, or complete transparency. Uh, you know, given the proliferation of uh, you know IoT on on trucks be- beginning to come into ocean, uh, you know that kind of thing. So that Sarah was was a, was a landmark because what it essentially said was that the, the major legacy forwarders uh, are, are not going to allow themselves to be left behind by the flex ports of the world and the other digital forwarders. They're saying that they're going to invest significantly in technology, but more than that, they're going to uh, adopt a, uh, an orientation of complete transformation to 
to ensure that they remain, uh, you know, relevant, growing, profitable, you know, as we go forward from here. That's interesting. And we're going to get into technology in just a second. And you and I were talking a few minutes ago, sort of about this very subject. I mean, it's all well and good that they're going to, you know, um, invest heavily in technology, but overhead costs and liability is growing. And digital marketing is also growing in this space. So I think for a lot of them, it's kind of like, where do I invest my money? And what is going to be the best return for me? And investing heavily in technology is great, but it also depends on what they're going to do with that technology and how it's going to better help the shipper and the supply chain and, you know, the international uh, freight forwarding side, the transparency, all of that. Yeah, exactly right. And, and, and to be honest with you, there's, there's not a, there's still a certain lack of, of knowledge as to where technology is actually going to take you. Uh, but the, the, you know, in terms of how you're going to use uh, artificial intelligence to, to deliver value to shippers. I mean, I think that the, the, the forwarders and uh, are, you know, they're, for example, they're beginning to realize that uh, there's certain elements of information that, that, that they can provide that are going to be really very well received by customers if they can achieve it. For example, uh, ETA. Uh, you know, ETA right now is uh, is is very antiquated in the in the shipping world, as as you know. I mean, you know, shippers have you know very little uh, bona fide information about when ships are going to arrive, when cargo comes off of ships, when cargo is released from a marine terminal, when it's going to get to the uh, to the distribution center, when it can be made available to customers, and this is all enormously. Uh, problematic when you are trying to uh, satisfy satisfy customers. Say that you're delivering to a customer's warehouse. You know you're you're a, you're a consumer products company that is delivering to a Walmart DC. I mean, I mean, now you have to be able to provide an accurate ETA, uh, or else they're or else they're going to penalize you. Uh, but it but it also gets to you know much broader uh, uh, revenue uh, uh, implications regarding. Regarding you know you know when you're going to be able to make sales or when you're going to be able to put product up up for sale on on a website, uh, it also gets obviously into into questions around uh, a warehouse uh, labor and when you need that labor. Uh, so the, the the forwarders are beginning to understand that that if they effectively leverage data, they can begin to provide some of that information to the to the customer, uh, but. The problem is that that there's that from a forwarding perspective, there's, there's actually uh, limitations to the information that you can provide because uh, marine terminals, re- as one example, remain a complete black hole when it comes to visibility uh, and availability of cargo, and 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 there there is no clear uh, 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 you know there's there's no clarity really that about you know, when cargo is unloaded off of ships, when it's being made, made available to, to trucks. I mean, that's really just, you know, very, very early days. So, you know, I think we're still in the early days of a lot of this. But the problem is, Sarah, that, that you can't, unless you invest in technology and unless you invest in culture in your company to be able to, 
be innovative and to think about the, po- the possibilities of what technology can accomplish, you, you're going to get left behind, even if you don't have a clear path to what exactly it is that you're trying to achieve. Yeah, the investment in the culture part is extremely important. Um, and I hope that the industry recognizes that. Um, because I do feel um, in some respects, and I don't know if it's bigger companies or, or whomever, but I think that that has maybe, you know, fallen a little bit. But it'll, it'll be interesting to see where those guys are going with technology versus the innovators that are coming into the space. And we're going to get more into those innovators um, from your innovation jam in just a second. So can technology solve real world problems? Well, I mean, it. It, it can help solve real world problems, uh, but it, it can't completely solve them. I mean, the the winner of the tech jam, and when I say the winner, the the company that was voted as the one that most convincingly solved the the pain point that it was trying to solve was uh, Nishex and. Nishex is a an online exchange for the buying and selling of container slot capacity. So you as a shipper can go and buy slots on a particular sailing and that's sometime in the future. And what the, the, pro- the, the problem that it solves is that is that if the carrier commits to selling you those slots, then the carrier is committing to loading your cargo on the ship. Uh, and if they don't, they are going to be hit with a penalty for doing so. Similarly, there is a responsibility on you, the shipper, to actually provide the cargo against your booking. So the the real-world problem that, that, that that particular model is attempting to solve is this, this uh, enormous issue of a cargo that's booked that doesn't show up it's called the the downfall rate in in industry jargon. You know, sometimes it's uh, frequently twenty five percent can be up to forty percent or something like that. And so the, the ocean carriers say that they can't run their business if forty percent of the cargo doesn't show up. Um, similarly, shippers will say that uh, I can't run my business if the cargo doesn't get loaded on the ship that it's intended to be loaded on. And you know, they are you know they are trying to. Uh, they are trying to solve that. They are trying to solve that problem. Uh, and you know, Gordon, um, you know, Gordon, uh, Gordon Downs, the, the the CEO of Nishex, gave a you know a pretty you know convincing um, you know presentation uh, in regard to uh, in regard to exactly how how their uh, you know their their system or their you know their platform is going to solve that uh, you know solve that problem. That's awesome. And we're going to get more into the top three a little bit later in the interview because I'm so interested to hear, you know, about who those top three were, what they're working on and and sort of what they're looking to solve. So you said that technology can't solve all real world problems, maybe some. You gave us a really good example with Nishex. Can it solve problems economically? Well, uh, you know, that's a, uh, you know, that's a good, uh, that's, that's a, that's a really good question. Uh, the, because if it, it has to solve it economically for the technology provider, because the technology provider needs to get compensated for the investment in the development of the technology, 
it's got to solve it economically for the customer. So, so then the question becomes, is the value being created enough to justify a higher cost or is it going to get solved economically in the sense that uh, the, the information that could have economic value for the customer is going to be offered as a, uh, as a loss leader, say, by a freight forwarder uh, for the purpose of generating business? So one of the things that we've seen in, um, in recent weeks, and, and I'm not sure exactly how much of this has been publicly announced, so I will leave names out of it, but you do have freight forwarders out there who are building uh, uh, ETA, continuously updated ETA engines into their, uh, in, into their uh, offerings to, the, to their customers. And the, the likelihood is, is that they are not going to be charging for that, but rather they're going to be uh, offering it as a benefit for using their freight forwarding services. Yeah, and that's that's always been sort of an issue with our with our industry. We 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 do tend to give a lot away for free. You know, whether it's you know consulting, providing all of the information that shippers need um, to be able to ship a shipment, right? And then if they're also investing in technology that they're going to be giving away for free, and margins are going down. I mean, how are they going to sustain that? Well, it's a good question. And if you are a, you know, I think that there's a big game being played right now uh, because there are tectonic shifts occurring in the international logistics world. Uh, you have uh, Merck declaring itself to be a an uh, a integrated carrier in the ocean world, similar to a integrated carrier in the parcel world, like a UPS or FedEx, in other words, controlling freight movements beginning to end. That's that announcement, which came back in uh, earlier this year, early this year, uh, sent shutters through the freight forwarding world, uh, because from the perspective of some freight forwarders, that can only lead to freight forwarders being put out of business. Now, whether that is going to happen is uh, entirely unclear. Ocean carriers get, you know, something in the neighborhood of half of their business from freight forwarders can you really try to put half of your business out you know out of business is you know you know possibly somewhat unrealistic but uh, but but large large freight forwarders are certainly in this environment desiring to both uh, out outperform smaller freight forwarders in regard to the technology and value add that they can provide and at the same time, seeking to become as large as possible so that the ocean carriers uh, cannot seek to disintermediate them because they're too important to them. So you might see some of this technology development being in service of the a large forwarder agenda uh, to adequately position themselves in what is a rapidly changing environment. I mean, you saw the, you know, CMA CGM acquiring 25% of SIVA uh, last week. You know, that is a further indication that, that, that ocean carriers in their search for a profitable business model, which of course they do not have right now, um, are going to be looking at end-to-end -end logistics as one possible way that they can, uh, that they can create value in the market. Well, that's going to create a reaction on the part of freight forwarders who are going to not want to see themselves disintermediated and they might see that technology could be an asset that they could deploy um, in service of uh, that kind of strategy. Yeah. And I guess we'll just see who sort of comes out on top. It's going to be an interesting, 
it sounds almost like a, a struggle or, or a fight, you know, to see who's going to come out on top and see who's, who's going to be, um, who's, who's sort of going to keep the pie or take the pie. I mean, I guess we'll sort of see what happens with that, but it's interesting that you bring up the CMA because, you know, I truly think that steamed appliance want to get into LCL. They don't just want to do FCL. They're carrying, you know, both sets of cargo and they're going to look at ways to try to get into that market. So I think that, you know, the freight forwarders, you know, need to be cognizant of that and, and really take a look at what's happening in the industry and what steam supplies are doing. So go ahead. Indeed. And, and what I would say to that is that the, you know, the, the steamship lines will be deploying uh, a te- technology that is going to allow them to go to market in, in the same way that, you know, in other words, to create a very, very easy way to do business with them. Uh, and, and so the, and that is going to create, and that is for small, you know, small shipments, whether, whether LCL or, or single containers, you know, basically, basically going after the small shipper market that the, that the steamship lines lost to the freight forwarders years and years ago, they now see a way back into that. Uh, and, and so for the large freight forwarders, they're obviously going to be very mindful of this and they're not going to want to give, uh, they're not going to want to uh, surrender that, that market uh, uh, easily. And so uh, you, you certainly have new uh, types of competition that, that, are, that are now occurring in the market. Yeah. And it, you know, it brings up a pretty good point. I mean, you said earlier that steam, do steam supplies really want to lose 50% of their business? Well, are they really going to lose 50% of their business or are they going to increase their margin on the business that's already being funneled through them? Well, it's, it's a, you know, for, for a steamship line, you are, you you are always have one eye on profitability and another eye on volume uh, because you have large ships to fill and you have basic requirements to put large quantities of cargo through your system. And so there is a, always will be a, uh, a market share agenda that is, that is occurring at the same time that you've got a profitability agenda. Yeah. And maybe and, we'll see maybe large freight forwarders investing in ships then. I mean, I mean, I, I you know, I, you kind of take a look at Flexport investing in airplanes you know, for the China, I think it's LA corridor, you know, is that where freight forwarders are going? I mean, we talked about investment in technology, but then you look at the other side of the coin because they don't control the actual steamship line side. If they really want to come out on top and, and really take a look at what they need to do, maybe the investment is there as well, you know, in actual, in actual ships. You know, you, 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 I would say that it's, it's, Un- unlikely, but you can't rule anything out because because you you have it's not just the, the the freight forwarders and the ocean carriers that are now interacting in this market. You now have the platforms that are in the picture as well: uh, Alibaba, JD.com, uh, uh, Amazon, which are uh, certainly taking control in a very direct way of uh, of the last mile segment so that which is the the touch point with their customers but uh to the to the degree that they are not not satisfied with the with the upstream performance of uh of the of the logistics uh, process they're gonna they're gonna move they're gonna move further upstream i mean i mean amazon has a 
uh, uh, you know, has an NVOCC license. They are, you know, becoming large customers of the of the steamship lines. Uh, certainly, the more you go upstream in the in the in the you know sort of logistics supply chain, if you will, uh, the, the the worse the reliability is. I mean, I mean, Amazon, in order to be able to to, to you know compete effectively in in selling uh, goods to consumers or even selling goods to business, as they're increasingly doing, uh, they know that delivery reliability is crucial. And, and speed to market is crucial. You know, if you order something on Monday, you want it on Tuesday. And actually, they want it to be that you order it on Monday, you get it on Monday. Or you go or you order it at, at, at noon, you get it at, you know, you know 12, 15 via a, a drone or something. I mean, I mean, that's the kind of reliability that they want to achieve. But but you go further back up. I mean, what is the uh, the, the, the schedule reliability of, of, of ships arriving at ports as per as per the published uh, uh, sailing schedule? It's. I don't know. It's in the '60s, the '70s. I mean, it's it's poor, and and so you know that's why you had uh, you had Soren Sko, the CEO of Maersk, say recently that if if we can't do a good job, then Amazon is going to get involved in our business. That was a that was a public quote that he made uh, talking to Bloomberg, I think, in a, in an interview. So you know the pressure is on. Yeah, I love that too. I you know I love that he quoted that and, you know, recognized it because it's so very true. So let's get back to that innovation jam. Um, can you tell us about the companies that presented and what you learned from them? Yeah, yeah, definitely. We, uh, we had, uh, we had, we basically had two sessions. One was on visibility because the, the BCOs, uh, communicated very clearly to us that that visibility was uh, one of their primary problems, and that gets into things like ETA. You know, uh, you know, like one of the pain points was we want a continuously updated ETA as events are unfolding throughout the supply chain, so that we can predict the impact of the final ETA. Uh, Adam Campaign of Clear Metal uh, uh, presented on that topic. It was it was really uh, very fascinating. He uses uh, he uses. Uh, artificial intelligence. He's essentially an artificial intelligence company that is just crunching massive amounts of, of data in order to in order to create a, uh, a continuously updated ETA. And 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 that was uh, it, it. Shows certainly that 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 progress is being made in uh, in achieving this objective for for BCOs. Uh, we also had. Uh, we also had an, a, a similar presentation by Ocean Insights, uh, a guy named uh, Robin uh, Jacks, who's the vice president of, uh, of sales, presented for Ocean Insights. Uh, Lognet, which is one of the uh, one of the more legacy players in logistics technology, they've been around a long time. Uh, they do uh, uh, you know origin PO management. Uh, you know, it's a very sort of BCO focused tool. Uh, John Motley is the CEO, uh, presented on the on the question of, uh, or the pain point being that we lose visibility of cargo at various stages along the supply chain, including when cargo is rolled. And, you know, he's putting a lot of information together, uh, including information that is coming from steamship lines to be able to uh, create as good a, as as good a picture of visibility as is achievable. Now, you got to understand that a lot of a lot of ocean container visibility today is still very much event based and uh, you know essentially milestone based where 
the the container enters the marine terminal, and as a result of that, the uh, that is a uh, that is a milestone. The milestone is then reported out by the ocean carrier. Uh, that is notoriously unreliable information. It's certainly not real time information that you would obtain through a uh, IoT device that is tacked onto the container. Uh, in fact, John Motley for many years. Uh, as the CEO of LogNet, he's given an award at TPM uh, easily for 15 years or something to the ocean carrier that provides the highest quality data into the LogNet system, which shows the continuing importance of carrier-generated data in order to develop uh, uh, a accurate or present an accurate picture of uh, visibility to the customer. So... Uh, there was also a uh, another pain point, which was when we encounter disruption at point X in the supply chain, how quickly can uh, plan B options be presented? And you had uh, uh, Zvi Schreiber, the, the CEO of Fredos, uh, present on that. Fredos is obviously offering a, you know, kind of an Expedia-like uh, uh, option of uh, various uh, freight forwarding options that are available to shippers at any given time. And so... You, as a as a shipper, you can uh, presumably uh, get get access to uh, different freight forwarders options at different stages along the supply chain. You know he's creating uh, a certain amount of, uh, of of transparency to what the uh, to available services from any origin uh, and destination point. So those, uh, Sarah, were the the visibility segment, and then we got into. Uh, then we got into another uh, session, which was the second session, uh, which was uh, around planning and operations. Awesome. Awesome. And like you, you've spoken about quite a few, you know, innovators in this space, whether they've been in the space for a long time or they're just sort of getting started and, and getting known in the space. Question for you, though, out of um, the companies that prevent, uh, presented in the Innovation Jam, did they all have industry expertise? Well, they're they're acquiring expertise. I would say they are. You know, you 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 one one of the most interesting things about the 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 arrival of advanced technology into the logistics space is that a lot of it is coming from non transportation people who who are who are, you know, sort of technology evangelists who see a problem and uh, that is unsolved and believe that technology is going to be the, is going to provide the solution to that problem. And so, so it has been a, you know, kind of a very refreshing uh, element of watching the log- logistics world unfold over the last couple of years. That you've got a lot of non-transportation people who, who aren't seeing the, 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 the industry through the same kind of, uh, lens of oh we tried that it didn't work we don't have technology for that we we live with this problem and we don't complain about it uh, maybe we make money because the problem exists that type of thing and uh, and they're coming in and saying no we can apply algorithms we can apply big data we can apply machine learning uh, we can apply you name it uh, and and we might be able to a- 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 achieve a solution so. Kind of yes, there's some legacy people, and there are a lot of yeah. People. And I just sort of wonder if the lack of industry expertise 
is to their detriment a little bit. Yes, they have the technology background and they see the problem to be solved. But unless you've been in the industry and you've sort of seen the evolution um, and you know what the what the real problems are, you know, you've been in there, you've worked for a freight forwarder, you've worked for a steamship line, you've worked in the traffic department of a, of a shipper. Um, I just feel like it's an important part of the founding team um, to really have that industry knowledge so I, that's why I bring up that point. Well, well, and I would, I would, I would not disagree with you because I mean, one of the one of the things that we've seen uh, is, uh, you know, a decided lack of disruption. Uh, where is the disruption going on in in international logistics? Uh, I, I would say that to the extent that there is disruption, it's it's way down the the way uh, downstream in, in last mile where you've, where you've got, you know, Amazon saying that I, I'm going to take a, I'm going to take control of last mile to a certain degree myself. And uh, I'm going to uh, disintermediate uh, the legacy providers in, in the last mile world. Maybe that's a, maybe that's a UPS or a FedEx. Uh, I mean, that is in fact, bona fide disruption, but you know, is, is Flexport disrupting, the the freight forwarding industry, you know, no, uh, they're growing in the freight forwarding industry. They have a compelling offering which creates visibility to cargo that uh, and, and transparency that and, and user experience that that some of the late legacy freight forwarders are, are have a little been a little bit slow to uh, adopt. But I would I would call that first mover advantage versus disruption. And all of the tech, all of the sum total of all the technology solutions that have come into the international logistics space have not really disrupted have not disrupted anybody, uh, and and so to the extent that that has not happened, you could say that that actually uh, you couldn't disrupt the industry unless you have intimate knowledge of the industry. And the fact that a lot of the technology people don't necessarily have that legacy knowledge that you're talking about, maybe that explains the fact that the level of disruption has been completely agreed. And that was very, very well put, very well put, because again, I, I think that it is an important part of disrupting this industry. And like you said, have we really, really seen it because this, because of the lack of the, sort of the legacy, you know, in industry role. So um, just before we move on, you do mention BCO a couple of times. Um, can you, just for our listeners, in case they don't know what that means, can you just say, tell us what that means? Yes, I am. I am sorry. That's what happens when you fall into the, the jargon trap. And I hate it when I hear people casually throwing jargon out at me that I don't understand. I'm like, whoa, 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 what does that mean? So my apologies. Uh, BCO is a uh, essentially a bill of lading term that stands for beneficial cargo owner, but it has been adopted into the vernacular to essentially refer to non-transportation companies that use containerized transportation for their to, to uh, uh, to support their supply chains. So Walmart, Target, Archer, Daniels, Midland, Volkswagen, Tesco, all companies that are moving large quantities of containerized goods around the world, they are 
Okay, great definition. Thank you very much. And for all of our listeners, I do have a supply chain dictionary on my website at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash shop if you do get lost in a sea of acronyms and jargon because that is what our industry is sort of based on and and people throw it out all the time. So um, let's sort of get get into blockchain. You you talked about the innovation jam. You didn't really mention blockchain. Blockchain's being thrown around a lot in this industry right now. Do you think that it's going to play a role? Yeah, so it was really interesting that the blockchain has the the blockchain discussion has really happened very very recently. So the the innovation jam had got going and, and was really well underway last fall. And, and even then, the, the, the blockchain discussion was sort of in its infancy. Now, six months later, you see a, uh, a, a blockchain discussion which is really pro- proliferating uh, at, a, at a scale that, that was, would have been unimaginable even six months ago. Where you've got uh, you know multiple uh, uh, initial coin offerings, uh, multiple uh, uh, blockchain projects underway, and what I would say about blockchain is essentially that it is in fact a uh, a a solution that could have a very significant impact on the on the industry. It it really is a technology that to me fits hand in glove into the way. Uh, the way goods move internationally. I mean, when when you know a, 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 a container of whatever it is moving from moving from point A to point B, B involves you know, you know multiple multiple parties, multiple government agencies, uh, banks, uh, customs agencies, ocean carriers, freight forwarders, customs brokers at the receiving end, truckers. I mean, it's it's a you know, this is just, you know, built in complexity. And, and, and if the, the entire communication around the movement of a, of, of, of a piece of cargo from origin to destination can be introduced into an electronic environment where, where everybody's access to information is, is defined by their need to interact with that information. And it's all completely secure, even to the point that it will handle the transfer of money and the release of cargo. In other words, the, the, the negotiable aspects of, say, a bill of lading can be put on a blockchain. You have within that a the potential for a revolutionary transformation of the industry. So from a technology standpoint, yes, it can really move the dial in terms of creating efficiency and uh, eliminating inefficiency because there remains, you know, vast inefficiencies in international goods movement. The, the, the challenge is going to be that, that there are, there, there are going to be, and there are emerging multiple blockchain projects and multiple blockchain initiatives uh, that, that, that are commercially driven. Uh, Maersk and IBM have a joint venture to create a blockchain solution for containerized freight. Well, uh, that is Maersk's and IBM's solution to the problems that they see out in the market. Uh, but you've also got other 
blockchain initiatives that are supported by other major parties. You have a initiative. I don't know if it has its if it has a name to it, but it was a I believe it was a proof of concept. It was announced publicly. It involved uh, uh, AB InBev, Kuninagel, and Accenture. And I believe a customs agency was in there as well, entirely separate from what Maersk and IBM are doing. You've seen multiple initial coin offerings that are also bringing blockchain-based solutions to the market. So the question becomes, are these are these different blockchain solutions going to be operate in silos? So it's my blockchain product versus your blockchain product, uh, when in fact the real uh, opportunity from blockchain, the real economic uh, value that, that can be created industry-wide and worldwide is is neutrality and all of us coming coming on board into a into a single neutral platform. So as every day goes by, the sort of utopia of a single neutral blockchain platform um, becomes ever more distant because with every passing day, a new blockchain uh, ICO or a new blockchain project is announced. And so how are these all going to interact with each other? Is there going to be true interoperability, as some people believe, or is it going to become uh, a, a, a new competitive battlefield? Yeah, that's a really great point. You know, and I, you and I have talked about sort of siloing before. So I guess we'll sort of see what happens with that. So let's go into sort of final thoughts. You know, with your innovation jam, you saw a lot of innovation, maybe a little bit of disruption. Um, so what does the future then look like based on what these companies and these, these new innovations bring to the table? Well, I mean, I think that we're in a, you know, we're in an interesting moment right now where, where the, you know, the technology world has certainly come to realize or come to believe that, that within international logistics, there exist vast inefficiencies and that there is enormous value potentially able to be created if technologies can be effectively leveraged to solve the big problems that are, that are out there. That, that's clear. Uh, but, but how quickly that's going to happen is, is, a, is, a, is a really big question because of all of these, all of these uh, underlying uh, challenges that, that have held international logistics back for, for, for years, if not decades. Uh, rates are low. Uh, rates are volatile. Uh, low rates uh, suck investment potential out of big organizations that would otherwise uh, be looking to uh, invest in technology and to create uh, to create value through technology and and they and and without the you know if, if the underlying pricing uh, of, of logistics services is is inadequate well then investment isn't you know it can't can't be created and so or, or investment is limited so you've got you know, Different different forces at work, and the other point is that is that ocean carrier consolidation ought to result in smaller, uh, excuse me, not smaller, but fewer, better capitalized, more ambitious organizations in regard to the pursuit of a profitable business model, which is going to be driven by technology. So there is a new 
uh, there's new wind in the sails of, of ocean carriers, as we've talked about on this in this segment, to be able to leverage technology to create business opportunities that they did not have before. And that in, that in turn is sparking a reaction from uh, freight forwarders who are also looking to leverage technology so that, so that they stay in the game. And many of the freight forwarders are in turn leveraging technology that is provided to them by non-freight forwarding companies, uh, various and sundry uh, 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 pure play technology firms out there that are seeking to support the freight forwarder from being disintermediated. So, uh, you know, pretty interesting time right now, I would, I would have to say, overall. Absolutely. I would definitely agree with that. Well, everybody needs to follow Peter on LinkedIn. He has some really great articles and things to say. So make sure you go and check him out on LinkedIn. I will have the link to that in the show notes at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 12. And also stay tuned to the podcast because I'm sure I'm going to have Peter back and you know, we're going to be talking all about sort of the, the future. We're going to be watching what happens in this industry. And it's a really, like you said, interesting, interesting time. So thank you once again for coming on the show, Peter. Again, this was truly insightful. And I know our listeners are going to get a lot of takeaways from this episode. F- fantastic, Sarah. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the opportunity to come on your show. I really appreciate it. It's very interesting talking with you. And I look forward to the next opportunity. Canada's hottest container shipping conference is just a month away. Where else but at the JOC Canada Trade Conference can you hear from a stellar slate of industry leaders? From interim Canadian National Railway CEO Jean-Jacques Ruest to logistic CEO Madeleine Paquin. Where else can you network with some of the top Canadian shippers, including Bed Bath & Beyond, Canadian Tire, Decker's Outdoor Corporations, Staples, and more. But it's not just industry leaders and major shippers at the June 18th through 20th event at the brand new Hotel X in Toronto. The conference offers logistics managers and forwarders a singular event to gain new insights on port routing to and from interior markets, how to enhance supply chain visibility, and mitigate rising truck rates. And after a peak season marked by shipment delays, where else can shippers and forwarders gauge which ports, marine terminals, and rail routes are up for the task to hear more from their peers and transportation partners? The JOC Canada Trade Conference is where you need to gain actionable intelligence to keep your supply chain humming amid a myriad of challenges, including new truck and low-sulfur fuel regulations, to opportunities to build reliability via cooperation and technology. Register today for this event at events.joc.com. If you liked this episode, go and check out Women in Supply Chain Series Part 1 to 5 with powerhouse women from Uber, Women in Logistics, Women in Trucking, and so many more as they are doing so many things in disruption and innovation. And again, if you want to listen to the first episode that Peter was on, that's letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode two or season two dash episode two in your iTunes. 
iTunes. Next time we have Ruth Snowden. She is the executive director of SIPA on the show. And she's talking about the role of freight forwarders and our declining infrastructure in North America and how that is affecting our business and economy. Want to learn more about the technology platform I am working on? Go to ships.com. That's S-H-I-P-Z.com. Enter your information and you will be one of the first ones to know what we are working on. Thank you again for joining us today. Remember to rate us and review us and I will feature you on the show. Have an amazing day and remember everybody, ship happens.